RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. All right, here we are. We're, we're a couple minutes late. I apologize, but we're ready to go. We had great, uh, a fantastic sermon yesterday. So welcome to those who are joining us live or are going to listen later on our podcast. This is Closing the Distance, RPC's opportunity to kind of get a little bit deeper, a little bit behind the scenes, if you like, in, in talking about the sermon. And it's, the sermon series has been pretty deep, um, pretty challenging in some ways, you know, the roots to roots really trying to figure out, you know, not a whole lot of people, I don't know a whole lot of churches that, that take this lovely book, the book of confessions say, hey, let's do a whole series on this thing, you know, but it's been, it's, it's been good. And the feedback has been very positive. So we're, we're really thankful for that. So Jeff Myers, our senior pastor, taking the brunt of, of the work on all these uh, sermons. And then I'm Dan Christ, associate pastor. Um, and I only have to do one. So that's really good. I've been, you know, I'll be well prepared by the time that one comes around. I get to do the last one kind of. And you got a good one too. So. You know, I do have a good one. It's, it's a tough one though. You know, it's a pretty sensitive area. But anyway, so yesterday was Scott's confession. The Scott's confession, as you said, is like in our book of confessions is very long. So we didn't recite the whole thing. And you pulled out one specific section of it even just a part of that section of it in, in chapter 16. So just kind of uh, summarize for us that section and why you felt that that section of all the sections you could have chosen as Scott's confession was relevant uh, to what we need to hear and, and why it's relevant to us today. Well, that's a great question, Dan. I think, so we're going to look at nine total confessions and what we'll see is a lot of these confessions build on the confessions that have gone by previously before them, and they're in conversation with one another. And then later on, they'll correct uh, uh, maybe mistakes that they see um, uh, a previous confession make. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of, you know, the Barman Declaration's kind of reworking of the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Confession of Faith, which are, which I'm really going to enjoy kind of talking through because I think it'll hopefully illuminate a lot of um, questions and confusions that people have. But so I chose this section um, because I think the Scots Confession written at the time of the Reformation, and it uses this word Catholic. And I and I've been surprised how many people think Catholic small c refers to Roman Catholics. Right. And it doesn't, not in the Apostles' Creed, not in the Nicene Creed. It's a small c, lowercase c, Catholic. 
And that means universal, widespread, not local. Um, and so that was, I kind of focused in on that because, and then I wanted to talk about, okay, when in these, especially in the Reformation era confessions and in the Westminster Confession of Faith, there's a really anti-Catholic sentiment because it's historically rooted and it's responding to the reformers, um, you know, withdrawing or getting pushed out of the Roman Catholic Church. And so how did they engage with that? And then how do we, as people who are living 500 years after the Scots Confession was written, how can that confession illuminate our faith and help encourage us? And I think one of the things I wanted to say is, you know, our creeds and confessions are always subordinate to the authority of Scripture. They guide our reading of Scripture, but Scripture is, is, is primary. And so that passage I used from 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about you know, we are one body, but we have various members, it was hopefully a way to say, okay, we can look back and say, at that present moment, there was a lot of tension and conflict in the church and demonization. And I wanted to say, but there was also, they had that impulse to see the Catholic church, small c Catholic. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so we have a decision to make. Do you want to demonize or do you want to see the unity in the midst of diversity of the Catholic widespread universal church. Right. When we think of, of the church, in many ways, the, the capital C and lowercase c are opposite. So when we talk, think about Catholic, lowercase c means universal. When we think about church, it's capital C that means everybody, the church, not RPC, Roswell Presbyterian, lowercase c, church, and all that kind of stuff. And so confusing those things. Again, we, we, when we're talking about this instance, we're talking about the church, capital C, as being small c, lowercase, Catholic. Yep. English, you know, who wants to learn yeah. that? I mean, yeah, I know. Well, I just think, you know, it's a lot of people have confused and we just haven't, a lot of us just don't stop and think through the problem enough uh, or have somebody, you know, who's willing to stop and work through it just in a simple way. And so I was hoping that yesterday would be an opportunity to kind of stop and think through the problem and clarify the language we use and how it's been used over, you know, the past 500 years and how we can use it to hopefully help nourish our own faith and grow in our own um, relationship with God and Jesus Christ. So at the time of writing these three confessions that come out of the Reformation, so Reformation, I mean, reformed. So there, there's a, a kind of a push against or there's tension between what becomes the Protestant church, the Protestant faith and Roman Catholicism. There's already Eastern Orthodoxy that's, that's split off before that. And so there, there definitely was significant animosity really between these two camps for a long, long time. Um, and even up to in the United States, you know, when we, we elected our very first Catholic president when, in John F. Kennedy and that kind of stuff, there was still like, oh my goodness, he's going to be beholden to Rome and all this kind of stuff. All people worried about that, which look, we think about that now and think, you know, that's the last thing we're worried about in Joe Biden, you know, so, so yeah. recognizing where that comes from, where do you see similar tensions in the church capital C today, where there, there is kind of like misunderstanding or misrepresentation or just misalignment, mis over not discussing, not recognizing that we are part of the holy Catholic small C church. 
Where do you see that happening now that needs to be remedied, rectified? Well, I think uh, across racial, ethnic um, differences, I think probably, um, you know, predominantly African-American churches in conversation with um, predominantly Caucasian churches, I think uh, the Hispanic community, um, I think talking to Pentecostals, talking to charismatic churches, um, you know, I think, you know, especially for those of us who are Presbyterian, that those traditions are so different than ours. I think we can really learn a lot and really benefit from charismatic spirituality, uh, you know, being willing to clap, being willing to raise our hands in worship, uh, the, the power of prayer, the, the power of, you know, not uh, always being so decent and in order, but letting the spirit kind of flow. Um, and so I think there's a lot we as Presbyterians can learn from uh, those conversations and we can really benefit uh, uh, from the wisdom of those traditions that many of us are unfamiliar with and many of us are scared or frightened. Um, and so I think, I think that that's, uh, I hope that that's some of the places we can move in to go uh, from that small C, just us church to this universal church that we can learn from uh, folks in the diversity of uh, the experience, the prismatic. Uh, right, I was going to say, you know, your quote from Marilyn Robinson talked about that being prismatic. Yeah, and, I, and that's one of the, uh, I just love the generosity of spirit to say, what can we learn? How are these, how are these different traditions expressing uh, Christ's love, uh, the beauty of God in ways that others aren't? And it's not saying which, it's not making a value statement about which one's better, which one's worse, but it's, and I think even, um, and I'm not antinomian, I'm not anti, you know, that we're, these are all, that, that it's all relative or it's all different paths up the same mountain. I think we can say, uh, I disagree with some views that Roman Catholics have. Like, and I mean, I just, I'm sorry, I disagree. And we can, and I argue, I've argued with them and they've argued with me and, and we just have to agree to disagree. But that's true of my own family. Right. <laughs> like, there's stuff that we just, for the betterment of the, my, my marriage, and honey, um, we're going to have to agree to disagree. <laughs> so I don't get too, I, I don't think we need to get too um, uh, surprised by it or too worried. But, but I think it's okay to disagree and to have uh, disagreements about uh, certain ethics, theological questions, things like that. All right. But some of those disagreements, Jeff, even in our own tradition in the PCUSA church have caused deep divisions and splits. Think about, you know, recently in what the United Methodists and then uh, I just read the other day that the, the uh, Anglican church in Australia is splitting over this whole idea of the LGBTQ community and same-sex marriage and ordination and all that kind of stuff. There's, so there's those kind of deep questions. There's you know, still questions in much of, again, the capital C church about women in ministry and women in leadership. and There's been deep divisions and splits, not seeing these differences as prismatic, but no, this is it. This is kind of a line in the sand. What, what do we do about that? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I think it's really sad. Um, you know, the PCUSA kind of went through a lot of these conversations a number of years ago. Um, and a lot of churches left the church. I, I think, you know, we need to have these disagreements and these discussions with grace, um, with generosity of spirit, 
that we try to, when we are arguing or debating with someone, that we can articulate their argument in a way that they say, yes, that's what I'm saying. Right. That's, yes, you, you understand what I'm arguing. Because what I hear most of the time is, is they'll say, um, uh, you're for like sexual license or you like everything goes or, and it's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Right. You know, here's my argument or um, we, there, there just should be no rules. We just let anybody be a pastor or whatever. And it's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. But can you articulate what I'm my argument in a way that I can say yes. Uh, and then we're, cause otherwise we're just talking past each other right. and so much of, you know, it makes for good social media, you know, uh, tweets and, you know, posts to like make fun of people or make them seem insane or a stupid, um, irrational, crazy. Um, and it's easy to do that. But then the person's going that, I don't even believe that. That's not what I said. Right. And you're just speaking past each other. But in the way that our media works now, it get that'll get a like that that'll hit the dopamine and and it's like who cares about what's actually true? It's just what is of entertainment value um, and what uh, causes emotional response and things like that. So which is really sad. And so I'm trying to, and I try in my ministry, and I think you do as well, Dan, to really say, okay, if we're going to talk about complicated. Um, issues let's talk about like let's get really specific and and really understand where each other's coming from yeah. you know it's like it's like um people talk about traditional uh biblical uh marriage and i'll be like well like abraham being married to his half sister right. like is that is that traditional or right. you know solomon with his like thousand concubines is that traditional right you know paul says don't get married is that traditional? Right. You know, like as if as if there's like one thing. And so, right. and when you start throwing up kind of complicating things, um, that's when I think it gets interesting. You say, oh, how do we do justice to the plurality and the the um the prismatic <laughs> way of being human and uh uh experiencing the world and trying to discern how God is calling us forward? Yeah. Yeah, that's important. I mean, I've not thought about it in those terms, but I mean, I have a friend, acquaintance, who's a, a Christian man who has five wives. He's he's Maasai. That's a cultural thing. All his wives are well, women of God. I'm like, what? <laughs> that, that's really hard to get your mind around. That sounds that sounds really uh, anxiety inducing. <laughs> that, 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 that's a lot of mothers-in-law. <laughs> Yeah. yeah but yes you're right and so i can i go to that and say i you know do i doubt his salvation or his faith because of this no, well no you know and I, I think the generation after him like his his wives don't want that for their daughters or even their sons but again the generation that he is that was what how it was and yet he came to faith he's a he's a you know a strong godly man and and as are his wives and children you know yeah. well okay <laughs> yeah <Not right. laughs> so and i think that's right like can we can we meet people who are different than us and listen and try to like understand their lives and their reasons and their way of being without judging right away and that's yeah. just tough for a lot of us to do because 
of fear, um, you know, judgmentalism, our impulse to always be right, um, things like that. So I, you know. So in this, in the Scott's confession, the one that you pulled out, it, it is very specific. You, we didn't recite this yesterday in the service, but it does say there is neither life nor salvation without Christ Jesus. So it says that. Okay. So again, it's, it's saying it's excluding universalism, right? There, it's not saying they're all roads lead to God. It's saying Christ Jesus is the road. But it also says, as you mentioned, you highlighted in your sermon, the Kirk is invisible, known only to God. Okay, so that to me seems to be a paradox, right? Christ Jesus is the way, the only way, that's what it says. But at the same time, the church is invisible and it's not up to us to decide who is in and who is out. And there's a whole lot of people, you know, those who are theologically conservative and those who are, you know, more progressive that would say, okay, but there, there has to be an understanding, some clarification on the ins and outs, like this is orthodox faith and this is unorthodox faith, or this is part of the, the Christian tradition and this is not. And this is something the church has wrestled with throughout. That's why we, we started having confessions. That's why the first confession came about, because we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, trying to deal with, with the heresies of the time. So how do we how do we live in that paradox and still be faithful to our faith to our tradition to our relationship with god yeah so i i think um i think in uh, and so you'll see this like i think in the barman declaration we'll get a little actually heidelberg catechism and i don't think randy's going to talk about this but it, the heidelberg catechism which we're going to deal do this next on labor day sunday is really strong on um, the judgment of God. And actually it says, um, it, it adds, I think the question goes, what comfort can I take that uh, Jesus has come to judge the living and the dead? Notice how the Heidelberg Catechism phrases the question, what comfort can I take? Now, I don't, when I think about judgment, I don't think about being comforted. Yeah. I'm worried. I'm scared for myself and for others. Yeah. But the Heidelberg Catechism has this great insight. What comfort can I take? So it seems to assume, and it's got this great answer that I can't remember, but basically it's along the lines of, because Jesus is the one, you know, who got out of the judgment seat and took, and under my understanding, took the judgment for the pain, guilt of, and pain of sin and death upon himself, and therefore has offered salvation to us. And therefore, because I have a gracious God revealed in Jesus Christ, I don't need to be worried when it comes to judgment because God is gracious and loving, right? And so, um, so it takes hopefully the, that anxiety out of it. Right. Um, and so I don't, I, I'm very quick to judge. Uh, you know, uh, what, what am I, one of the great books I read a years ago was Hansers von Balthasar's Dare We Hope That All Be Saved. Okay. Von Balthasar studied under Bart. He's Roman Catholic. Right. And uh, uh, probably we might say a non-traditional Roman Catholic. I don't know if all the popes would have loved a lot of the stuff he wrote. But I mean, he was a fan of Bart, so of reformed thinking from a kind of a Catholic perspective. 
But he asked this question, dare we hope that I'll be saved? Is it okay? And I think, and I think if, if there's hope for me, then I've got to have hope for others. Right. If, if I think I can be saved, then, then surely I've got a hope for others. Right. Now, how that's all going to work out, there is a bunch of different theories. You could go to the C.S. Lewis great divorce route. You could go, um, uh, you know, um, Bart's kind of um, ag uh, agnostic hopeful uh, uh, position, you know, that there is a hell, but then it will be empty. Um, there's like, there's all sorts of ways you could go Dante, you know, like, um, <laughs> but like, and so I think the thing is, is can we be people that see God's grace for not just us, but for others as well? And, and I, if I look at the ministry of Jesus, you got to say, it's probably going to surprise me in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a really good I don't know. I don't know if I want to encourage people to watch this, but a Rowan Atkinson skit about he arrives in hell and kind of who who was right and who was wrong. It's kind of humorous. Oh, that's funny. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so that's a good understanding of what it means that the, the Kirk, the church is known only to God. If I recognize that, if that's my foundation, my starting point, then it's not up to me mm. to judge. And but it's up to me to demonstrate the same grace that I have received, recognizing that I don't have it all figured out. I have it figured out for me at this moment in time, but my faith continues to evolve and continues to develop. And, I, you know, hopefully tomorrow, I'm not the same as I was yesterday, right? That's part of it. And so, again, the judgment that I would have for myself as, as you know, a 30-year-old or a 35-year-old, because, man, what an, what an ignoramus I was, right? <laughs> because I've changed so much. I've grown and matured, hopefully in my faith and in my understanding of God and all that kind of stuff. So I, th I think it's a help, very helpful to kind of understand that the Kirk is known only to God. Yeah. And then it's, it's not our responsibility. It is our responsibility. We write the confessions to try and clarify, to try help others kind of understand what, you know, this is what we understand about God at this moment, if, you know, at this time. Absolutely but allow God to through the Holy spirit to kind of woo people onto God and, and help them understand what God desires of them and the relationship God desires to have with them. And let us just be the people who are expressing grace and mercy and love. I, I think that's our main responsibility. I love it. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, and the confessions hopefully point us in that direction. Yeah. I just think, you know, um, sometimes the confessions exhibit, you know, because they're often written at a time of contest and um, deep emotion, uh, conflict, controversy, that they exhibit uh, uh, a polemical kind yeah. of aspect against someone. Right. But just because it was like that at a certain time and place doesn't mean it needs to always be like that or they need to be political. And we, and I think Roman Catholicism today is way different than it was in the 16th century. Right. Right. And I think it just as reformed and Protestant thinking is very right. different than it was back then. And so I think we need to take that into consideration as we read these in their historical moment, but let us glean from them what we can take for our own moment, but we don't need to take the entire context right. 
Um, and you mentioned but, that in your your discussion of your friend Ben, who was Catholic and read some of this. Like, and it sounds like they didn't like Catholics a whole lot. <laughs> Which is true. At the time, there was a, a huge amount of tension, and but so being being willing to kind of read these things from their historical kind of perspective and recognize, okay, well, our church, the PCOSA, has accepted these confessions knowing their history, right? Yeah. Knowing what was behind but still feel that it's formative and and helps us in our in our present time uh, that's important yeah absolutely not just kind of throwing it all out well i know we're both kind of on tight schedule today this is fantastic we could go on for a long time just give me a brief kind of synopsis randy's pre preaching we have one service next week at 10 a.m he's doing heidelberg catechism you, you want to just kind of what yeah. should we expect so he so the heidelberg catechism asked that first um that first great question is, what is my only comfort in life and in death? And it asks that great question, what is my only comfort? And I love Heidelberg because it's always asking, what is my comfort? What comfort can I have in life that, that my spirituality, my religion offers me comfort? And, um, and I think Randy, I'm really interested in how Randy's going to kind of uh, take that on. Randy has got a lot of, of pastoral experience with these. Yeah. And I know he spent a lot of time with Heidelberg and the other confessions. So I'm excited to see as he uh, kind of lays out uh, uh, the wisdom that he's gleaned from that confession. Yeah. So it should be good. Now, unfortunately, next Monday is Labor Day holiday. So we won't have a closing the distance. But if you if you hear the sermon or you watch it later and that kind of stuff, we Jeff and I would encourage you to write down all your questions and send them directly to Randy. I'm sure he'll appreciate <laughs> that greatly as you kind of want to know all this all the stuff about Heidelberg Catechism. I think that would be fantastic since you know he won't get a chance to be interviewed like this. He'd love the one-on-one. -on -one. You get a must mustache grooming advice as well <laughs> that's right <laughs> well excellent jeff thank you so much again for this sermon series particularly you know that the message yesterday about the the scotch confession and and this discussion has been really helpful so i hope awesome. listeners have found it uh, beneficial i would encourage you there are several copies of this book all over our church if you are listening to this and like i you know maybe i need to actually read these for myself I'm sure in our library, there's a few that you can dust off and, and get them out and, and go and read because, again, it's not easy reading, but it, it is beneficial. So I would encourage that. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Right. This meant a lot. I appreciate right. it. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, bud. See ya. Thank you.